Five-minute penalty to Chicago, a game misconduct, and then Manson having words with Stephen. And now, Butcher gets into it. We're going to have a brawl, folks. Stand by. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Tyler Cash. I'm here remotely with Tommy Goff. Say what up, bro? What's going on? Let's go blues, baby. Yeah, we are on cloud nine right now, as you may have already heard. The St. Louis Blues have advanced to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1970. That shit went down last night. Where were you at when the news hit? Sadly, I think I was at like the only shithole bar in Southern California that actually played the NHL audio over the NBA game that was going on, which I was very happy about. So I'll take what I can get. How the hell did you find that? Uh, there's a bar right by my house that... It's like predominantly like a like a Pittsburgh type bar for whatever reason, which is kind of weird. But uh, I've been there before, and I had no idea they'd prioritize hockey over basketball. But hey, they did, and I wasn't complaining. So that's awesome. Yeah, usually it's hard in St. Louis to find anyone that's playing a hockey game that's not the Blues. So like, I kind of feel you on that. Like, I'll call around, and they're either playing March Madness or college football, basically anything other than hockey even if it's during the playoffs which is always shitty uh definitely definitely agree but i mean they advanced uh i was at a local bar here in st louis called the clubhouse shit went wild everyone was popping off i mean dude it was a great feeling and honestly it didn't really sink into me what we were dealing with until that moment um the entire game the blues had complete control it looked like so it really wasn't a roller coaster of a night like everyone was just feeling good the drinks were flowing and you know once that countdown hit it really sunk in and man dude what a fucking awesome feeling right yeah i mean i'm at the bar and i have this guy who's from detroit come up to me with like what i think it was right after the blues made it four to one he congratulated me with like five or six months left and i'm like i'm not shaking your hand i'm not doing anything yet I, i i don't trust it i know where i'm at i understand the situation but being a blues fan I'm not doing shit till we get to that moment. All of a sudden, the replacement ref calls for a five-minute major, and we see the Sharks bounce back once again, and we all just put bullets in our head. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that night would have gone. The Sharks were limping into that game as it was. Carlson didn't make the trip to St. Louis. Hurdle didn't make the trip to St. Louis. Pavelski was a game-time decision. He wound up. Did he wind up playing? No, he didn't play. Right. Well, I mean, he was already banged up from previous injuries, obviously. And let's just face it, if the Sharks would have pulled it together and they would have been the ones to advance to the Stanley Cup final to face the Bruins, I mean, that wouldn't have been much of a series. I mean, at all. I mean, that that would have been Bruins and four. I mean, five even. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, they have what? They would have had six days off to see where people are. I mean, I don't see Carlson getting better, but I mean, assuming Pavelski has another concussion or something, there's still some hope there. Hurdle, he really has had concussion problems. He probably comes back, but I mean, yeah, I mean, either way, they're going into that series shorthanded, which, yeah, Boston definitely looks like a buzzsaw. Right, and they've had plenty of time to rest. To me, it would have been brutal i mean we'll never know obviously the blues advanced it feels good uh how do you feel pairing up against the bruins here again for the first time since 1970 since the 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 infamous flying bobby Orr incident 
Well, personally, it's fucking frustrating because I've my whole lifetime, my fucking, yeah, whole lifetime, what are we, 26 years now. I mean, every time St. Louis has faced Boston, World Series twice, lost both of them, football twice, well, football once, you can almost technically say twice with the LA Rams, but I still don't count them as my team. But yeah, basically three times that I've actually cared about the situation and three times Boston has gone to... Uh, basically be our daddy so it'd be nice to get that off our back and sort of vanquish the demons that the blues are dealing with now i don't follow other sports as closely as i do hockey i'm just not much of a fan uh but i do see a lot of people talking about championships have has boston have they just been dominating other sports as of recently i mean red sox have won rather recently the patriots obviously the Celtics haven't won anything anytime, anytime in the last while off the top of my head. And then the Bruins won sometime in the 2000s. I think it was like 08, 09. I can't remember. The top no, of my head. I think it was, I think it might've been 2011. Wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. It was a lot more recent than I thought it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, then that's weird. I see all these Boston sports fans talking about a dynasty building up here. And it, I mean, it doesn't seem like much of a dynasty to me. It's it's tough to say. I mean, yeah, they won back in 2010, 2011. So it's been what they're going on about. This be their eighth year without a cup, which isn't really that long. But I mean, you got to give them credit. They're playing great. They they have a great team over there. I mean, you have Patrice Bergeron, who's arguably the best two way center in the game, in my opinion. And then obviously, we all know what Marshan can do. Pasternak. You know, he's a hell of a player as well. And then sprinkle in some of the other guys like Chara and and whatnot. So, I mean, they definitely have a rock solid team. But, I mean, the flip side of the dynasty talk is Chara's kind of ended the year of his career. Tuka Rask is getting up there in age. So he maybe has, in my opinion, maybe a couple more solid years in him. Granted, he's just been white hot these playoffs. But, yeah, there's still a lot of time to tell to see what what as far as a dynasty goes with the Bruins. Yeah, they're definitely a scary team to be facing up against. Who would have thought we would be looking at the 1970 rematch between the Bruins and the Blues in the Stanley Cup final? I mean, that's that's poetic as fuck, right? I mean, I mean this should be a well-fought, long, hopefully long series. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I really hope the Blues can pull it together and uh, present their best game as they have since January. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason they can't. I mean, there's really nobody majorly banged up on the Blues besides Vince, excuse me, Vince Dunn. But as we saw, once the Blues adjusted to him outside the lineup, they really didn't miss a beat. In my opinion, they got stronger on defense because Gunnarsson overdone, at least defensively, he's an upgrade, obviously, offensively. You're going to have a little bit of a drop-off there, but then that's where you have Pareko and Petrangelo sort of coming in and, and sort of making up for that, in my opinion. So, Yeah, I saw that Petrangelo has the record for the most points by a St. Louis Blue during the offseason. The last time I checked, it was somewhere around 12. I don't know if he posted up any points there in Game 6 himself. I do know that O'Reilly finally showed up. I mean, not with putting the puck in the net, but I mean, he had three assists. He picked himself up a star. I mean, 
that must feel pretty good for his confidence at this point because he hasn't really done much here in the postseason. I mean, yeah. I mean, it depends on how you look at things. I mean, just to clarify with the Petro thing, uh, yeah, he had an assist in game six, so he now holds the franchise record for most points by a defenseman uh, in Blues history, which, I mean, it's cool, but then it's also kind of understandable reaching the cup finals. So there's that. But, I mean, yeah, O'Reilly, he's played a really, really strong defensive playoffs and that's kind of what we need from him and if he can bring out his playmaking side on top of that that's great and last night the sharks obviously let things get away from them there at the end so that definitely helped pad his numbers a bit but he's been what you want from him i mean it'd be nice to see him pot a few more goals but i'm perfectly fine with it i mean a flip side of things look at tarasenko he's at a point where after game one baruby said he needs more from him and even though he had an assist in game one he had at least a point in every every game this series and stepped up huge in game five having that goal and two assists making that for that 5-0 win and he had another goal that actually turned out to be the game winner, funnily enough, for uh, for Game 6 since the Cup Final. So he's uh, he's on top of his shit right now. And talk about a ballsy move from Barube. I mean, that that's awesome. I love calling this player out publicly, you know, because he knows what he needs out of Tarasenko. And it makes you wonder, have other coaches done that? I mean, have they gone soft on him? Because I know in past, Tarasenko's even apologized publicly for his lack of performance during the postseason. And now, dude, he just he's a fucking beaut. I mean, he's lighting up the fucking net. He's looking like he's having a good time. He's smiling. I mean, we're seeing something out of Tarasenko in the postseason that even though he has performed in the past, we're just seeing above and beyond kind of attitude, don't you say? Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel Ruby went about it perfectly uh, when when he did get asked about Tarasenko and his play basically said he's going to work harder. He didn't he didn't say he's not working hard enough. He's not doing the things he needs to do. He said, I'm not worried about Vladdy. I know he's going to work harder. So he didn't necessarily, you know, throw him under the bus. He's just basically saying, I expect more from you and I know you're going to show it. Basically clearly answered the bell and was a, was a big key in the series. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely showing up when we need him to, you know, like I mentioned before, O'Reilly's not really putting the puck in the net. He is providing, Elsewhere, they have bumped him down to the second line. He's kind of been more of a defensive entity. He's offering some sort of sense of leadership role, filling the void where people feel Petrangelo hasn't been stepping up over these years as the captain. Yeah, I mean, I don't think O'Reilly, just as the years gone on, I don't, I don't see him as captain material personally. He is a really, really good guy. But the way things got turned around, I mean his obviously work ethic and give 110% all the time, every time sort of rubbed off on everybody in the locker room. And that got us to where the blues are, but the way Petro seems to handle things and he, I, I don't see that changing. I mean, he definitely give him an a no doubt, but I think this is Petro's team to lead. And there's obviously been times in the postseason where he's had piss poor defensive turnovers and, and bad positioning, but you know, the things we don't see in the locker room, clearly whatever he's doing, whatever he's saying is working. So, yeah, that's that one meme that's floating around the Alex Petrangelo Apple turnovers. Oh, yeah. Have you seen oh, that? Yeah. 10 out of 10 meme right there. That's for damn sure. I'm one of those people that is stuck by him. I don't really understand the crap that he gets from St. Louis in general. Um, but I mean, I guess it comes with the job 
You know, like a lot of people like to throw the captain under the bus just as if they like to throw the goaltender under the bus in hard times. You know, it's just kind of the go to when you say, yeah, I mean, it's it's the easier, easier scapegoat at that point. I mean, if your team's down in a series and they're not saying much in the media, you know, get pucks deep, you know, play a team game and not really showing anything. Of course, people are going to get on them. But, you know, the things that are discussed in the locker room are going to be generally completely different and a little bit more. uh Probably a little more aggressive, in my opinion. Now, we heard earlier in the season, and I think even a little bit of last season, there was some locker room division between the boys and Blue, um, where some of them were kind of siding with Steiner. Some of them were siding with Petrangelo. I, you know, there were some rumors that Shen was unhappy with his position on the team. I, I would think it's safe to say that those jitters have kind of been shaken off you know they they look like a team they look like they're passionate about something for the first time in years they're connecting they're communicating and it all starts with you know a good coach and I think that it's it's clearly obvious that Bruby's gonna he's gonna grab that Jack Adams award here at the NHL awards at the end of the season I mean again yeah with awards I I don't know because it all comes down to voting prior to playoffs that being said it's going to be tough. You think Trotz is going to get it? It's hard to vote against him. He goes to a team that lost their star player, basically have the best defensive team of the year. They're going to win the Jennings Trophy for it. And then, obviously, they flopped in the playoffs after sweeping the Penguins. To win your division after losing your best player for nothing, and the way that they did it with a brand-new coach, that's pretty impressive to me. I feel like that's going to eke him out over Ruby turning him around, what, a third of the way through the season. So I don't really know specifically where the cutoff is or how that all goes down. But Bruby definitely stood up and, and made some changes, especially for somebody that we all thought was just going to be a fill-in coach. And he's been doing his best with making sure that all these lines are getting an equal shot at you know ice time. And we're seeing that fourth line just shine. You know, Barbashev, Steen, and Sunquist. I mean, that's a hell of a fourth well, line. Well, remember, don't call him a fourth line. None of the Blues do that. So I thought it was very interesting how they moved Sunquist down the fourth line after the way he's sort of played through the playoffs but him and Barbashev and Steen have just worked really well together and I mean they're a lot their their minutes really aren't that far off from you know the Blues third line and what they're getting so again as as Baruby as Petrangelo a few other people have said it's really hard to to call them a fourth line the way they performed and I mean I think the last three or four games of the series against the Sharks. They had a goal in each one. So that's not really what you, what you see from a fourth line, yet they're producing like a second or third line at this point. I mean, and that's what you need, especially in the postseason depth. That's what I talked about early in this podcast. I was afraid that if, you know, say O'Reilly doesn't perform or if he's injured or say Tarasenko doesn't perform or he's injured, that this team was going to be SOL. And man, I'm eating my fucking words. I mean, you you pointed out to me. Now, granted, we were at game six, uh, round two uh, against Dallas Stars here in St. Louis. And I was uh, to say I was slightly inebriated would be uh, I mean, that's an understatement. I, I'd, I'd have a few monster vodkas and uh, the room was spinning. But you kind of pointed out to me, you're like, dude, Robert Thomas is a stud and he's proven himself. And, you know, what is he at? He's on the third line. Correct? Uh, yeah, with Maroon Bozak. I mean, yeah, we, we were we, you were you were sitting there wasted bitching about how the Blues don't have depth in scoring. Yet they had 13 players on their team who scored 10 or more goals. So 
I debunked that bullshit real quick, obviously. But uh Well, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm I'm owning it now, but I mean who would have thought that a nine he's nineteen years old, who would have thought that he'd be performing the way he is right now in the postseason? I mean, yeah, my biggest concern, honestly, in round two, in my opinion, was kid's nineteen. He's never played this much hockey in his life. How is he gonna keep up? And what we've seen, I guess, here throughout I think the end of uh, end of round two and end of round three is any of the practices. He is basically just resting and having Fabrice to get in his place. And then come game time, he's out there. So got to do what you got to do to manage the minutes and manage the energy levels. And it seems to be doing okay for him. Well, let's talk about the matchup, right? The competition, the Boston Bruins. We touched base briefly. You mentioned Bergeron, Marchand, Chara, we've mentioned what Rask has done. Let's let's really dissect this for a second. Let's compare these two teams. So where do you feel like the Bruins are the more advanced team? Like where do they sit in the sense that you feel like it's going to be hard for the Blues to overcome? I don't necessarily want to say hard to overcome. I I want to say it's going to be more along the lines of of containing what they have, I guess would be the best way to put it. Marshawn, Pasternak, Krejci, Bergeron, Coyle, and Krug have six guys with 12 or more points on their team in the playoffs, which is pretty impressive. Can't really discount it or just say whatever at that point. And, I mean, I personally feel... Their top six is definitely more offensively gifted than the Blues. I mean, you could even arguably say that the Sharks' top six is more offensively gifted than the Blues. So the Blues have to shut them down, and they did that. They clearly did that against the Sharks later into the series once they figured out their their game plan and what they need to do. And that's sort of the key to winning. I mean, on the defensive side of things, I, I don't see really a whole lot of what makes Boston that great defensively granted. I mean, I'm, I'm a Western conference guy. I don't watch much of the, much of the East and even watching the uh, Eastern conference final against the hurricanes. I mean, it just seemed more the hurricanes just overmatched in general versus the Bruins really shutting them down. In my opinion, I think it comes down to shutting down their top six and basically playing a better defensive game, then it's going to be a tight series. It's going to be like, like I was saying prior to this, when you're trying to force me to make a prediction about the cup finals, I was saying it's going to be low scoring. It's going to be tight games, like two, one wins, three, one wins, things like that. I really don't expect anything to be five, four, five, Oh, unless we see a complete meltdown from either Rask or Bennington, it's definitely going to be low scoring, high intensity, aggressive. A lot of players finishing their checks, Bennington just looks amazing out there, and I really hope that he can keep it together and prove that, you know, he's this goaltender that we want long term. And I think I think we're going to see that definitely a guy you want between the pipes and advancing this far the first time ever playing in the, you know, the playoffs. I mean, that must do a lot for his ego, wouldn't you say? I mean, if he if he really has that much of an ego, I have no idea because he doesn't show it. So he's either super cocky and doesn't show it that much, or he is a relatively humble guy and I, just doesn't fucking care. 
Yeah, I mean, you can get a little bit of both, right? You know, he can know his own worth and represent himself confidently. And that's kind of like where I was getting at with the cockiness. I guess when you say cockiness, people automatically assume that you're kind of a dickhead and, you know, you belittle people. I don't see that out of him, but I definitely see a level of confidence that we haven't really seen. Yeah, I mean, without confidence, he wouldn't be here. I mean, that's flat and simple in my opinion having that confidence clearly is key and goaltending period for anybody and he has loads of it and he has no reason to not be confident anytime soon i don't think so i was reading that article from espn that honestly blew my mind and they dissected how we ended up with jordan bennington and people don't really understand the steps that were taken and how long he's been in the system. Cause he was drafted. I believe it was 88th overall in 2011. Uh, that was the same year that believe it or not, Kucherov was yep. drafted. I believe somewhere like in the forties or fifties overall. So, I mean, they weren't very far apart and he's been sitting here doing nothing since 2011. So eight years and he finally gets his shot And they talk about the only reason that he got a shot is obviously, you know, the backup goaltending situation wasn't working in St. Louis. Uh, They put him on waivers. I actually don't even know where he ended up, to be honest uh, with you. Chad Johnson? Chad Johnson. Ended up being a perfect storm because uh, the Ducks had John Gibson, who got hurt. They had Ryan Miller, who got hurt both long-term, and they had a rookie goalie, and no one else to really back him up. So that same day Miller got hurt, the Blues were like, all right, let's make a change. We'll put Chad Johnson on waivers. I almost guarantee the Ducks will pick him up because it's a one-year contract, and they did. That's right. I forgot, and he was playing out the remainder of the season on the Ducks with his St. Louis Blues helmet, right? Like, yeah, half of it, and they finally got a, he finally got like a generic Ducks win, which was kind of funny. That's hilarious. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot completely about that, man. That seems like yeah. another world ago. But yeah, so they, they gave Bennington the shot and they put him in. And then his first start, he, you know, shut the team out. I can't remember who they were playing, but pulled the shut out of his ass. And then Bruby's like, well, you know, let's ride him. And it's been a fucking wild ride ever since. And thank God, because there's no way that we'd be where we're at right now with Jake Allen. I mean, I know I've gone hard on him in the past and, you know, Rightfully so in some cases, and also just, you know, just being angry, you know, an angry fan taking out my aggression on what I wish this team would have pulled together and done. But I mean, at this point, you can't really argue it. We would not be here with anyone else other than Jordan Bennington in the net. And, you know, for that, we're eternally yeah, grateful. Absolutely. It's perfect storm, perfect situation. Yeah. Ironically, uh, the night before the game Bennington first started in was the night the Blues found Gloria, the song. That South Philly bar the next night plays against Philadelphia, three nothing shutout, and we know where the Blues ended up. So, kind of funny how things work out. I don't know if you fucking saw this or not, but on on the Twitter verse, it looks like there's a Boston Bruins fan that's trying to take Gloria as their theme song, and the the original artist, what Laura Branigan, yes. I think that's how you say it, Laura Branigan. Sounds about right. She, uh, her actual fan page, uh, responded being like, Gloria is the blues song that is for the blues Bruins, you know, basically fuck off. And, uh, I thought that was great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's that, uh, it's that Pete Blackburn guy. He generally has some funny content. I, I enjoy him, but it's basically a, uh, 
it basically becomes more of like a, a meme at that point and a troll tactic than them actually trying to take the song. That's really what it is. And it's funny because like, that's the first thing I realized as it was. And then all of a sudden you have all of these blues fans and whatnot being like, that's our song and blah, blah, blah. And he's sitting there basically just laughing his ass off probably because it's, a joke but because everyone's taking it so seriously and he keeps posting about it people think it's a serious thing so it's pretty funny to me he's clearly getting a rise out of everybody because that song means a lot to everyone here in st louis it's become the blues anthem there's radio stations that are playing it on 24-hour loops ever since the blues started winning i mean obviously they are going to take that you know, to heart, you know, because this has kind of become the theme song for the blues this season. And so far it's been yeah, paying I off. I mean, funnily enough, I just looking it up right now is because I swear every time the blues win a series, it shoots up the charts. If you go on iTunes and you check the pop charts, the 35th most played song currently, and I believe in the last 24 hours is Gloria, which is hilarious considering it's beating out some other top name artists pretty consistently because literally everyone who's a blues fan is playing it over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it's decades old, but you'll be driving down the street. You'll just hear someone blaring it out their car speakers. It's fucking beautiful. It's a catchy song. It's great, but it's just it's just, yeah, taking on a mind of its own. Absolutely. So the first game of the Stanley Cup final is going to kick off on Memorial Day, the 27th. The first home game is June 1st. What can we expect out of Boston there in game one and two. Do you think the boys in blue are going to, are going to swipe one? I feel like they have to, I mean, granted it's a different team, it's a different series, different time of the year. Everything's on the line. The teams that come in with the most rest into a series seem to not be able to ramp it up when they need to. So, I'm concerned the Blues are getting six days off. I'm even more concerned for the Bruins that they're getting, what, 11 or 12 days off, the most ever before a cup final. It'll be interesting. I mean, they'll be more fresh, but will they be able to, will everyone, you know, be able to turn it up as a team to to play a level they need to to, to win and take over games at a time? We're, we're going to have to see. I think Boston is is relatively favored. I think they're, they're like minus 140 or something for the series win. Last I checked something like that, I could be wrong, but... I mean, it's hard to bet against a Boston franchise, but just comparing them into what I've seen really from both teams, it's I don't I don't know what to expect. I really don't. I mean, I have a 20 spot down on the Blues to take it all that I bet several months back, 18 to one odds. I heard at one point, probably during a really shitty part of the St. Louis Blues season, they were 100 to one odds. I didn't see that with my own eyes, but I just saw that on Twitter the other day, and I was like, holy shit, anyone that took advantage of that, that was a nice little investment. Definitely the Bruins, they're scary. I mean, they're definitely favored. I think they're going to come out swinging, I mean, in more ways than one. Game one is going to be hard to take if they can take game two on the road and come back to St. Louis tied up. I mean, like you said, they have to, that's a, that's a big, yeah. And actually funny enough, there was, I think the blues are actually three under one at one point, but there was a guy in, uh, there was a guy in January who's from St. Louis going to Vegas. And he basically pulled out 500 bucks and he's like, I'm betting hundred bucks on and Cardinals are like 20 to one or 18 to one or something like that to win the world series. And I'm putting the rest on the blues. So I put $400 at 250 to one odds for the blues to win the cup. So if that happens, he makes a cool 100 Gs. Rightfully earned. I mean, the Blues 
were dead last in the league, you know, this January. They literally went from last to the Stanley Cup finals. I'm sure I could speak for all of us when I said I've lost a lot of money every year being that hopeful fan putting money down for the blues to win just hoping one day it would pay off and you know i hope it i hope that guy gets a big payday that's for damn sure do you have any money down on him i don't that's a surprise i sat that one out obviously hindsight 2020 would have been nice to put down 50 100 bucks and potentially looking at a big payout but i i I can live with it yeah i mean at least you get the win right that's what i'm hoping for yeah i actually have one bet out there that your brother Andy likes to bring up and throw in my face. <laughs> uh, I have one bet still unsettled. Just a quick recap. When the Knights entered the league last year, they were given pretty much no chance at winning the cup. Everybody was looking down on them. And I believe at one point they were 500 to one odds to win their conference. And although I didn't place a bet in Vegas like I should have because I was fucking there for the draft and I could have gotten those 500 to one odds. Shit, you were there, too. We both could have done that. Um, I did place a couple of personal bets with some buddies on whether or not the Knights would make the playoffs in their first season. Obviously, they did. The rest is history. But I do have one bet out with David, a.k.a. the producer of this show. I said the Knights were going to get a cut before the Blues, which I believe everyone could thank me on that because I'm such a fucking jinx that I think I might have reversed the curse. So, yeah, I got that one bet out. It's a hundred dollar mandate. And so it looks like I'm, you know, might potentially have to take David out for some steaks and uh, some cocktails. Is that really the worst thing? No, 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 it's not. <laughs> but uh, that, but I put the 20 down on the 18 to one odds. So at least I'm still coming out on top, even with, uh, this bullshit bracket that we got going that you somehow managed to slide out a win, which was like the least amount of fun ever with this bracket because everybody's shit was broken. I mean, Hey, I'll have a cool 120 coming my way. So that'll pay for maybe uh, 15%, 20% if I'm lucky of my Stanley cup final ticket. Yeah, no, that'll pay for your beers and your fucking, you know, your, your keto hot dog without a bun. That's that's what that'll pay for. Yeah, honestly, you're not, you're not wrong. Obviously, I've never been to a Stanley Cup final game, let alone in St. Louis. So that would be fucking awesome to be able to be there for that moment. At this point, I'm saving up for a ticket to go to a game here. But if I can't do it, I'm just going to take that money and put it towards taking a week off so I can just go on like a week long bender. <laughs> And just, you know, get butt naked and just chug a bunch of alcohol and just, you know, cause a bunch of shit. Honestly, honest to God, my uh, my bucket list is blues winning the cup, figuring out when the parade is at like four or five in the morning, like taking some fucking lawn chair, setting them up on 14th and Clark and just have this giant cooler of beer and just sit there the entire day and just drink beer and wait for the parade and just scream my head off when it actually gets there. I'm fucking in. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's let's uh let's go ahead and pencil that in. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to episode six of the Fourth Line Goon Hockey Podcast. You can find us at fourthlinegoon.com, Fourth Line Goon on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. My name's Tyler Cash, and uh we'll uh we'll see you on the other side. Go blues. <laughs>